Thank you so much for joining us today. We're always encouraged to know God is working through new beginnings to touch lives. So if you have a story to share of how God's working in your life, please let us know. Send us an email at mystory@newbeginningsnj.org. Now prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. Now, if you would please welcome our lead pastor, Pastor Joe Source, to the platform. Thank you, everybody. Thank you, Pastor Beth. That probably is one of the subjects that's the closest to my heart because we've seen God do such tremendous things in our personal lives through the principle of tithing and the, and the, and the, the blessing and the grace that's poured out when we, uh, when we operate in faith. <clears throat> and let's face it, it takes faith to pay your tithes, right? Yes. It takes faith to take off the first 10% and put it aside and say, this is God's. And God honors that. Yes. Amen? Yes. Amen. All right, so here we are. We're trying to get into the series uh, on Exodus. I'm doing my best. You know, tonight we might make a little bit of progress. And uh, how many have been coming on Wednesday nights and this has been a blessing to you? Good. Wow, that's great. Good. Now, this section here looks really good. Uh, that section over there has got a little empty patches. Over here has got a few empty patches. And obviously, you didn't bring somebody if there's a seat empty next to you. <laughs> now, we got a real good group over here, diligent. They're here every Sunday, every Wednesday. Nice group of young people that come. Amen. God's doing amazing things in their lives. Amen. 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 All right, so you're like, come on, Pastor, get on with the teaching. All right. Would you um, agree with me, with the statement that I'm going to make, that God has always desired to bring stability into the lives of his people? Okay. If you think about this, and the first couple of, of, of verses of, of the very, very first chapter in the very first book of the Bible, it tells us that God created the heavens and the earth. And then in verse 2, it, it kind of hints at Something happened that caused the earth to become dark and caused chaos to come upon the earth and talks about waters covering the earth and the spirit of God hovering over those waters. It, it talks about, it hints at something, it seems cataclysmic that might have happened between verse one and verse two. We don't know what that is. I, you know, I, I have some ideas. I'm sure you might have some ideas, but the Bible doesn't really give us enough information. But we know this, God never creates anything in chaos. Yes or no? Amen. God never creates anything in chaos. God never, God never creates anything except he puts it in order. Okay? So, so the very first thing we see God doing after that is let there be light. Because in him there's no darkness. There's no shadow of turning. Okay? He, 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 darkness can't exist in his presence. Chaos cannot exist in his presence. And so now just fast forward a little bit. And now we're in the Garden of Eden, okay? And in the Garden of Eden, if you'll study that out in Genesis chapter 3, chapter 2, chapter 3. Chapter 2, we have the perfection of the Garden. Chapter 3, we see what happens to bring chaos, disorder, scarcity, lack, uh, poverty into that Garden that was created in perfection. What is God wanting to do? He's wanting to restore order. He comes on the scene. He confronts Adam. He confronts Eve. And um, they obviously uh, are responsible. They realize they're responsible for allowing chaos to come in and for allowing the poverty to come in. 
And you know, there's that joke, you know, Adam was walking past the garden with his two kids and his two kids, you know, they said to him, what's that? And he said, that's the place where your mother ate us at a house and home. So. So. It, it, just let it sink in for a minute. Let, let it sink in for a minute. So, so, so God has always wanted to bring order. He's wanted to bring stability. And so uh, tying in with what Pastor Beth just shared, uh, along the lines of, of the tithe and the offering, if you think about it this way, in Genesis chapter 4, uh, we see Adam and Eve's children on the scene, and they obviously have some information because they understand that they are supposed to come before God with the best that they can, not the least, the best. And Abel knows he's supposed to bring a live sacrifice. He's supposed to bring a lamb of the, of the, of the, first, the first lambs of his flock. Uh, Cain, disregarding the directions from God, brings vegetables and things that whatever he wanted to bring. In other words, like, you know, when you have a food drive and you go in your closet and you look at all the stuff that's outdated for two years and you take that and you put it in a bag and then you put it on the front porch and, you know, you think you, you did a good deed. But, <clears throat> so, so, but, but, but you didn't give your best. You gave what you didn't need and what you left over. Of course, nobody in here would do that, but you might know somebody. So tell them that's not the best. You get the best, when, especially when you're giving to somebody who's in need. You don't give them your scraps. You give them your best. Because you do just what God would do, right? Good. All right. So God gave them what they needed in the, in the form of direction for sacrifice. Man, this is going in another direction again tonight. But listen, we're talking about God establishing order. Now, remember what happened in the garden. When sin came into the world, all of a sudden, the garden did not produce the way it, was, it usually had been producing. It used to water itself. Now, all of a sudden, Adam has got to really, really work. He said, by the sweat of your brow, you're going to eat bread. In other words, you're going to have to really work to have food. And that wasn't the case before. So now, now the ground is not producing. Watch, watch, because the ground is under a curse. And listen, the ground is still under a curse. That's why you have dandelions, you have crabgrass in your, in your, in your lawn. That's why when you grow, you try to grow tomatoes, you have little worms that show up because they want to eat the tomatoes before you can get them. Okay, this is all. That's why you, when you, you, you buy roses, they have what? Thorns. thorns. Okay, wasn't that way in the beginning? The thorns and the thistles and the weeds and the allergies and the crabgrass and the everything else that causes allergies came as a result of sin coming into the world. But now God in his mercy, wanting to establish stability again, gives them directions. They're supposed to bring offerings. Those offerings are to enable God to give them the ability to raise crops, even on earth that's cursed, gave them the ability to prosper even when the system is against them. And those rules and those laws and those principles extend down to this day. Why? Because God does not want you in chaos with your finances. How many of you from personal experience know there's no greater pressure that you can have on a marriage, on a family, on a household, on an individual than financial pressure? Financial pressure is tough. Financial pressure will make you do crazy things. 
Financial pressure will get you to, to do illegal things, to try to get a shortcut. Why? Because you know, when a person is, is pressured to do something illegal to gain finances, it's because they don't understand that God has given principles and has given a direction and has given a, a, a law in giving and receiving and giving offerings to overcome the broken system so that you don't have to do things illegally to get money. You can do things according to God's plan and he will supply your needs because he's already promised that. Amen? Amen. Turn to somebody and say, God doesn't want you in chaos. God wants stability. So, so looking down the road a little bit to maybe about 15, 20 minutes from now, God saw that his people in Egypt as slaves did not have stability. They had no freedom. They don't have freedom to worship him. They are literally working seven days a week, some of them having to work 24 hours. Why? Because they're supposed to make bricks in the daytime, but then at one point, Pharaoh stops supplying them with the straw and stops supplying them with the materials and says, okay, at night you go gather the straw and in the daytime you make bricks. That's not, that's not stability. That's chaos. Yes or no? Yes. And God is always wanting to bring his people into a place of stability. Why? Why? Why would God go through so, to, to so many lengths to give us everything we need in this life in the form of faith, in the form of grace, in the form of the principles of his word, why would he do that to us? And why would he do that for us? I'll answer that question for you. It's because God is a promise keeper. And he made a promise to a man named Abram. He called Abram out of the life that he was in. And he made some promises to him that only, not only affected Abram's life, but extend down to this day. In Genesis chapter 12, I'm going to start in verse 2. God saying to Abram, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. And you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you and I will curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So we have, let me see, we have the word bless. One, two, three, four, five times. And five is the number of grace in the Bible. Now, would you, would you, would you admit to me, if you had the choice between chaos and stability, which would you choose? Now, would you, would you think that the word blessing or to be blessed produces chaos in your life or stability in your life? Stability. Five times God says to him, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to not only bless you, I'm going to make a nation out of you. I'm going to bless your, your descendants. I'm going to bless your family. Your name is going to be great. I'm going to do all this. For what reason? To have a group of individuals. We call them the chosen people. God chose Abram and God chose Abram's descendants that they would be a witness to all the nations of the earth. That, that people would be able to point to the 
to the descendants of Abraham and say there's something special about this group of people. God's hand is upon them. Okay, you listening? Don't ever forget that. Because let me just tell you something. This is a whole other side deal. I don't want to go into this, although I could and spend a couple of weeks. If you have an attitude with Jewish people and you have an anti-Semitic attitude, don't even think about enjoying any kind of blessing from God. Why? Because it puts you in direct conflict with this scripture. He said, I will bless those who bless you and I will do what? Curse him who what? Curses you. So be careful how you talk about people, especially in the area that we live in. I'm not endorsing anybody. Listen to me. I'm on the side of what the word of God says. Do not entertain an anti-Semitic attitude. But I'll tell you what, because one day Jesus is going to show up and you're going to be shocked because he's going to show up with the curls. Come on now. Okay. And the little strings on the side. Because you and I have put our faith in a Jewish Messiah. His name is Yeshua. If you would have yelled Jesus down the street, when he's, nobody would have known what you're talking about. His name is not Jesus and his last name is not Christ. His name is Yeshua, HaMashiach, Jesus, Messiah. Your attitude towards that or towards that whole concept is going to determine whether you're going to walk in blessing or you're going to walk in curse. Well, I don't have to like these people. You don't have to like anybody. But you don't want to be on the wrong side of this verse of Scripture. And the Bible tells us in the book of Psalms to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. And then it adds a little incentive. They shall prosper who love thee. Why are you on this tonight, Pastor? Because there's too many Christians that are being stupidly and, 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 and delusionally trapped by other Christians and even ministers that claim that they're ministers of the gospel, but, but criticize and condemn the Jewish people and the Jewish nation. And it's like, you might as well just go shoot yourself because you are bringing curse upon your life. You don't want to bring curse on your life. Well, I don't like what they're doing. It's none of your business. Take it up with God. I just lost it, but... We want stability in our lives. Man, I could go off on this. Last week, we talked about the reality of knowing God. The reality of acknowledging his everyday activity in our lives. The reality that he is always with us and never leaves us and never forsakes us. And you say, well, I can't see him. That's okay. It takes faith for you to relate to him. And faith pleases God. So when we practice, and I've had a number of people come up to me since last week and tell me about putting into practice what I taught about last Wednesday night about 
practicing the presence of God. And it's a very real thing. Are you listening? It's a very real thing. But you do it by faith. Well, how can I talk to somebody I can't see? How many times do you walk around the house and talk to yourself? And some of you get answers. So, we talked about the fact that if we want to have stability in our lives, that God has to be real to us. We've, we've got to walk in the reality of who he is. That brings us into his presence. And that's the next word we want to focus on in this time, this season of, the, of building foundation of stability. Because that takes you then into the awareness of experiencing God's tangible presence in our everyday lives. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands because I don't want the people who haven't experienced this to feel, you know, like maybe God doesn't like them or something. But, but how many of you, don't raise your hands, don't grunt, don't, don't say anything. How many of you understand the reality that I speak of about experiencing the very presence of God? It's real. He's real. And you and I can experience tangibly his presence. You know when he's here. You know when he's on you. When I say on you, you know when you're really experiencing, you've tapped into his presence. Uh, in times of prayer, there's something about praying, especially when you pray in the spirit. And if you don't know what I'm talking about with that, after, after the service, you come up and we'll answer some questions from you. But when we, when we actually release ourselves to pray in the spirit, Josh, we were talking about this last night, okay? When you, when you pray in that unknown language that's known to God, but not known to us in our, in our intellect, there, there comes a place at some point where you feel like you just went from one dimension into another dimension. And it's extremely important. And you see, all throughout the New Testament, in the letters, when Paul talks about praying, he's assuming that his audience, which they did, understood about praying in the Spirit and understood the baptism in the Holy Spirit and understood that, 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 that method of prayer. But there comes a point where you, you literally feel like you, you know you went from one dimension into the next dimension and now you're in the presence of God. And you can, you can sense his presence. You can sense him being very real. I remember, I remember one time uh, early on um, when I first got born again, I remember uh, going to another church. It was the first time I took you to Faith Fellowship up north. Um, and it was way before they were in any of the buildings. Remember when it was in the little synagogue? Okay. And uh, there was a time when my wife had just come and this is one of the first times I was in this particular church. And just the atmosphere of the Holy Spirit was so, just so heavy and so real. And I just, all I did was I just sit there with my eyes closed, sitting in the chair and just sobbing. And, and she's getting worried, like, what's going on? What's happening to my husband? You know, because it just felt like it literally, I believed with all my heart that if I, I could open my eyes and see into the realm of the Spirit, it felt like Jesus was standing right in front of me. Right in front of me. 
And so there's time. Now, now let me just, can I just spend a, a few minutes on this? Because here's what I want to, here's the reason I'm going with this. Again, we're talking about the subject of stability. We know that God wants to take us out of our Egypt, out of slavery, out from under Pharaoh, and wants to take us into our promised land where we experience freedom, where we experience liberty and the ability to breathe and not be oppressed and not be depressed and all these other kinds of things. We're talking about that. And I remember when I was in Bible school, um, this would have been 96 probably, um, there, there, there was a, a, my habit was to go into the gym and they had this you know, walking track or some people were brave enough to call it a running track. And, and so you could just spend time up there. And, and I'll never forget a particular place I was at and I heard the Lord specifically on the inside. Now, if you were there, you wouldn't have heard the voice outside of me, but I heard on the inside. If you will teach people to get into my presence then I'll be able to accomplish things in them in split seconds that would take them decades. Because in his presence, there's fullness. Okay? Presence, his presence. And we can experience that any time. It's you yield yourself to, you, what's a different way for me to say yield? I'm trying to think here. Well, you can just, you position yourself in such a way that your stance is expecting to experience God. And God will change things in you. Almost like, and it's like you, that presence of God will come on you, almost like anesthesia. Because it's usually when you come out of that thing, you realize you did something, didn't you? You understand what I'm talking about? You tweaked something. You fixed something. You went in there and you changed something because I know I felt different about this, that, or the other thing or that person or this person. I felt different about them before I came into your presence. Now that I've been your presence, you went in there and while I wasn't looking, while you had me totally like (laughs) absorbed, you went in and you did something, didn't you? And that's what the Holy Spirit's job is to do in us. The word of God is there to renew our minds. The Holy Spirit is there to deal with us in our souls. Okay? But you have to position yourself that way. And, and let me just tell you this much, and then I'll, I'll get back to my notes. Um, how many of you realize, and you can show your hands with this, and how many realize that, that God is love? Okay, now let me ask you this question. Could God be love and not be a gentleman? No, because in order to be a gentleman, he has to be what? So as a gentleman, he's not going to barge into your house. As a gentleman, he doesn't take you and put you up against the wall and put his hands around your throat and says, you do what I tell you or else. Would a gentleman do that? Okay. So because God is love, listen to me, because this is going to make, you know, if you've had a different perspective of God um, then what the Bible says, you might think, no, nah, that's not right what Pastor Joe's saying. What I'm telling you is this. Because God is a gentleman, uh, can you shut this off? I want to walk around here. I feel like I'm dog on a leash over here. I can only go so far. Because I don't want to have to, th- listen to me. This is important. This is important. Because God is a gentleman, and he's a gentleman because he's love. I was okay. Let's not, we're getting distracted and the time is going by. Listen, 
Because God is a gentleman, and God is a gentleman because he is, he's not going to barge into your life. A gentleman will stand outside your house and serenade you, ladies. You, you listening? A gentleman will, will coax you. A gentleman will, I hate to use this word because it sounds so, a gentleman will woo you. Yes or no? That's the right word, right? So, so I'm saying that because I want to make this point. If you want change in your life and you want certain things to change inside you, it's not just going to happen automatically because you want it. What, well, what do you suggest first? This is what I suggest. I suggest you pray a prayer, a very simple prayer, something like this. Father, I invite you to come and change the things that need to be changed in me. Watch this now, because this is going to tamper with some people's religious thinking. Father, I give you permission to come in and release the dealings of the Holy Spirit in my life because I don't know what I don't know. You know where I'm broken. I don't even know where I'm broken. You listening to me? Because sometimes we go through stuff in life and we don't even realize what is pull, what's pulling this trigger. What's making me react? What's making me respond to something that, that should take this much of a response? And I'm reacting like I'm going from one to DEFCON four in like three seconds. Why is that happening, Father? Because I don't know what's triggering me. Does anybody know what I'm talking about here? Let me see your hands. The rest of you just don't want to admit it. You see what I'm saying? But if you resist the Holy Spirit, if you resist God dealing with you, he'll leave you alone. He'll let you stay that way. Think about this. And then I got to get back to my notes, okay? So when I'm done with this part, tell me to get back to my notes. All right? No, because it's going to be too much now every week. <laughs> Watch this now. Think about, now, now, I'm, 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 I'm getting, I don't want to use the word assume. I'm going on the fact that you probably know this because it's pretty famous stories from the Gospels. You have Peter. Peter is a loudmouth. Peter is presumptuous. Peter just, he's a loose cannon. You never know what Peter's going to say. You never know what he's going to come out with. Now, on the other hand, you have Judas, who's extremely calculated, who's very manipulative, okay? Deceptive. Now, watch this now. Jesus begins to deal with both of them. Peter receives correction. Judas gets offended and betrays Jesus. Big difference. Both have the same mentor. Both have the same pastor. Are you listening to me? But one receives correction and allows Jesus to deal with him. You see, and, and that one has an impact on multitudes. Judas ends up hanging himself. You listening? Now, if God is love, and he is, don't you think that if Judas would have received correction from Jesus that he didn't have to end up being Judas. One gave permission 
to be dealt with, the other one tried to justify his actions. Who do you think had the stability in their lives? Peter. He becomes the major leader in the church for a little while. You listen to what I'm saying? So, so what do you, what, Pastor, what are you telling us? Position yourself to allow God to come in and do whatever he wants to do in you so that you can change. So that you can become the man or the woman that God wants you to be. So that you can become the husband, the wife, the father, the mother, the, the whatever that he wants you, that he designed you to be. Because it's only going to happen if you let him work in you. Turn to somebody and say, don't resist it. Now, now, now listen, the key to this is getting into his presence. And so God, listen to me, now we're back, we're going to Exodus now. I'm going to, you know, get in there, we're going to read some scriptures. Listen, God wants stability in his people. I'm getting revelation in this stuff, I can't believe this series. I mean, I taught this years ago and it's nothing like, like, a, like a teaching now. Listen, God wants stability for his people. So he speaks to Moses and says to him, go to Egypt, tell Pharaoh, let my people go. We talked about this last week, that they may worship me. Then you watch the movies from Hollywood, stuff like this. Oh, God wanted them to release so they can have freedom and then go build a nation. It had nothing to do with building a nation. It had all to do with bringing stability into the lives of these people that for over 400 years have been slaves. And God said to him, I have heard the cries of my people and I have come down to see their state. Now I want to send you, Moses, to go bring them out. And what's the very first thing he wants them to do and to develop as a habit? Worship. Because worship brings stability. Listen to me. How many of you, and if you want to raise your hand, you could if you don't, you don't have to. How many of you are, are, very, are very weary and tired of dealing with a mind that races constantly? What's the answer? Worship. Why? Because worship, here's what you're doing when you worship. You got, you got everything going. You got this deal going on, that deal going on, this situation, that situation, this problem over here, over there, the other, what happened yesterday, what's going to happen tomorrow. But when you worship, you, you go, Amen. everything's blocked out. I'm here to worship you. I'm here to declare your goodness. I'm here to, to, to let you know how much I love you. I'm here. I'm lifting my hands to you out of act of worship and respect and honor because of all that you've done for me, how much you have extended your mercy towards me. What am I doing? I'm blocking everything out. And so for that time period, watch this now, for that time period, what am I experiencing? Stability. I believe it's in Isaiah 26. I'm almost positive if I'm not. There's the promise. You will keep in perfect, am I right? You will keep in 26.3. You will keep in perfect peace. Watch this. Whose mind is what? Stayed on you. And we live in such a crazy world. And you've got Pharaoh chasing you. You've got Egypt to contend with. You've got 
slaveries in the form of bondages, in the form of addictions, in the form of issues, in the form of baggage, in the form of unresolved wounds and problems and betrayals and hurts and all these things that are constantly tormenting you. And all you need to do is I'm going to worship the King of Kings. I'm going to worship the Lord of Lords. I'm going to worship the Almighty Creator of the universe. I'm going to worship the one that watches now. I'm going to worship the one who actually has an answer for this situation, that situation, that situation, and that situation. If you don't know how to do anything else, and say, well, I don't know how to pray, then don't worship. Worship brings you in the presence of God like nothing else will. Worship will get the attention of God like nothing else will. You can cry, you can beg, you can plead, you can shout, roll around all night long. But when you start worshiping, you remember that woman that came to Jesus who had the daughter that was, that was demon-possessed? Jesus seemed resistant. And then it says, but, and then she worshiped him. And as soon as she began to worship him, Jesus goes, go home, your daughter's okay. Worship gets the attention of God. Why? My opinion is because worship, when you can worship in the midst of all the chaos and trauma and upheaval and turmoil that's going on in your life, but you can worship that has demonstrated that you have faith in God, that you don't care what happens, you don't care how it happens, you know this. I'm gonna worship you whether this gets resolved or not. I'm gonna worship you whether I get healed or not. I'm gonna worship you whether I get delivered or not. I'm gonna worship you whether I got money or not. I'm gonna worship you. And what happens? Stability goes like this. And just shuts the mouth of all of those voices. And you have stability. Moses, go tell Pharaoh to let my people, who have been used and abused in this kingdom for 400 years, tell him to let them go. That they may travel three, this is, oh my God, I just got it. So that they're going to travel three days into the wilderness and the first thing you're going to do is worship me. Worship. Worship. You study this, and they got three days past the Red Sea, and they're grumbling and complaining because they have no water that they can drink. The waters were bitter. They were poisonous. And Moses goes to God, and God says, all right, you see that tree over there? pull up that tree, throw it in the water, and it's going to become sweet. And the bitter waters, the waters of Mara, became sweet, and they could drink that water. What is that symbolic of? What does a tree always represent in the Bible? The cross. The cross. And so when you introduce the cross into the bitterness of your life, guess what happens? It neutralizes the bitterness. And the stability starts to come. And all of a sudden, the life that was so bitter for you that you did not enjoy and you could not ingest and doesn't do anything, all of a sudden now, the sweetness begins to come. 
You catching this? Stability. Stability. Some worship. Uh, let me at least go read some scriptures. Can you tell I enjoy Wednesday nights? Where do I want to go? Okay, let's go. I'll go back to that next week. All right. So let me, let me give you the backstory. We're actually going to get into Genesis, uh, Exodus. Here, here's the backstory. God chooses Abram. Abram's name gets changed to Abraham, and he, beco- he becomes now a father. And his, 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 first, his first son is what? Is who? Isaac. Laughter. Yitzhak. Okay? Laughter shows up on the scene. All right? Uh, Yitzhak has two sons. One is Esau, the other is Jacob. Jacob has a bunch of kids. One of his second to the youngest of the 12, his name is Joseph. That's a whole nother issue. <laughs> to just to kind of set some background, Joseph doesn't know how to keep his mouth shut. <laughs> Joseph has a dream. God shows him what his future is going to be. And what does he do? He goes and blabs it to his brothers. God never told him to tell his brothers. God never told him to tell his mother and father. God gave him the dream for Joseph to hold on to. You know, there's sometimes you can't open your mouth about some of the things that God's showing you. How many of you know that? How many have found that the hard way? There are times to speak and there's a time to be quiet. There's a time to share things that God's put in your heart. There's a time to hide things. You remember? You remember when, when Mary went to the temple with little baby Jesus... There was an old man there named Simeon who had been waiting for the Messiah to show up. And Simeon comes and stands in front of Joseph and Mary, eight-day-old baby Jesus, and begins to tell Mary things that are going to happen with this child. And what does the Bible tell us that she did? It says she hid them in her heart. Why? Because she knows this baby has enemies. (coughs) Joseph, blabbermouth. He tells everybody in his family what's, what God showed him in a dream. And of course, they get resentful. They get jealous. They develop a hatred for him. And they sell him into slavery. You can go look it up in Genesis, uh, whatever, 30-something. So Jacob's son Joseph gets sold into slavery. He eventually ends up in Egypt, sold to Pharaoh's second-in-command. And through a series of events... Ultimately, he winds up as Pharaoh's right-hand man over the entire Egyptian empire. Wonderful story of redemption. You need to go, you need to go read that, okay? Somebody on the front row, look up where the story of Joseph. I think it's Genesis 30-something or 20-something. I don't know. Now, Joseph becomes, you put it back on? Becomes a powerful, 37? Genesis 37 starts the story of Joseph. Go ahead, write it down. 37, Genesis 37. God sets Joseph in a place <coughs> of power, of authority, of administration. He's over all the resources of the most powerful empire that existed in history up until that time. Coincidentally, 
just in time for a famine to hit his homeland where his father and all his brothers and the rest of their family are still living. His father Jacob says to his sons, go to Egypt because I hear there's a guy there, doesn't know it's his son, there's a guy there who's selling food. Go there and buy food so that we don't die, that our cattle don't die. And so Joseph ends up selling food to his brothers. Now he knows who they are. They don't know who he is because they think he died 15 years before. Awesome story. So now, eventually, you, you know, read the story, like just give you a, uh, what do you call that? Spoiler, spoiler alert. What is it? Well, you know what I'm talking about. We, we, you know, so the end of the story is, Everybody gets happy ever after, and he forgives his brothers and the whole bit. And so then he says to them, is my father still alive, Jacob? They said, yeah. He says, go send for my father. Pharaoh is overwhelmed. He's so happy that Joseph got reunited with his brothers, that his father's still alive. And so here's the reason why the Jews are in Egypt to begin with, okay? Pharaoh says to Joseph, Go send for your father and send for your family. I'm going to give them the best land that we have for them to grow their crops and for them to pasture their sheep. And so the Israelites end up coming, 70 of them end up coming to Egypt, supposed to be temporary <coughs> because of the famine. And they're, they're given the best land that's available to them. Now, there comes a time then a couple of pharaohs later, <coughs> Joseph has died. Is there a cough drop or something there? Joseph has died. Jacob has died. Thank you. What flavor is that? It's all Adam's fault. So, so a couple of, you know, maybe, maybe a few decades, maybe 50 years, 60, 75 years later, a pharaoh comes to the throne. Now, if you study Egyptian history, there were others that came in and conquered Egypt and installed their own pharaohs there. And obviously one got installed on the throne that had no history of Joseph and how Joseph saved Egypt and how he saved the people during the famine and all those other things. And so um, here we are now, 430 years later. And God has heard the cries of his people. And he sends a deliverer. Now, now I need a tissue. <laughs> I might as well stop in another minute or so. Four hundred thirty years later, it's time. How do we know it's time? And how did the Israelites know it was time? Because God had told Abraham in a vision. Let me let me read it to you from Genesis chapter fifteen, I believe it is. Yeah. God calls Abraham. God is going to give Abraham a guarantee 
that he is going to do everything that he promised he was going to do. Next week, I'll go into this in detail. Genesis chapter 15, verse 12. And as the sun was going down, Abram fell into a deep sleep or a trance. And a terrifying darkness came down over him. Keep going. Then the Lord said to Abram, you can be sure that your descendants will be strangers in a foreign land. He's telling him, something's going to happen and your people are going to end up in a land that's not where you are now. Where they will be oppressed as slaves for 400 years. The Israelites knew this. And so as they're getting close to the end of this 400 years, they start, they start praying. They start crying out to God. Why? Because you're going to keep your promise. Why? Because you promised Abraham. Next verse. Let's go to the next verse. But I will punish the nation that enslaves them. And in the end, they will come out away with horrible poverty. With sickness and disease. Because I'm going to try to, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to test them. And I'm going to, I'm going to see if they're worthy of my relationship. And I'm going to make them suffer. And I'm going to grind their heads into the ground. And I'm going to make them just beg for every drop of water. No, what does this say? He said, in that day, they will come away with what? Great wealth. You see this theme over and over again throughout the scriptures. Yet you hear most Christian ministers and most churches, they teach the exact opposite, that God brought you into this relationship with him so he can make you more miserable than you were before. You catching this? He said, but in the end, they will come away with a little bit of wealth, great wealth. In fact, if you know the story, God does something so cool. He said, just before they leave, just before they leave, he says to the Israelites through Moses, go to all your neighbors. Tell them, give me all the gold. Give me all the silver you got. Give me those nice clothes. By the way, I like that TV. Let me have that too. Why? Because God was going to make sure that they were compensated for the 400 years that they spent as slaves. And that's why when you come out of Egypt... When you come out of the, the, the darkness, the kingdom of darkness, the kingdom of sin, when you come out of there, then God rubs it in the devil's face and starts, it starts lifting you up and starts setting you free and starts releasing gifts in you and starts compensating you for all the junk that the devil did to you and all the junk and all the stuff and all the consequences that from, from, from following the devil all those years, God then lifts you up because though he could shove it right in the face of the devil. Restores your health, restores your sanity, restores your, 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 your self-image, restores all of these things. Why? Same principle there. He's going to spoil. He told them to go and spoil the Egyptians. Spoil means to just pillage them, take everything they got. You just picture them all. Before they're slaves, you picture them all. Well, they're like six sets of clothes on them. Walking to sandals where they didn't have sandals, rings on, six necklaces, crowns. But you watch the movies, they're all walking out with ripped rags. That's not the way it happened. They came out, they took all the wealth of Egypt with them. Why? Who gave them their wealth? Who protected it? God through Joseph. This is going to be an awesome series when we get going. You listen to me. I just want to say this and then I'm done. Okay? Listen to me. 
I want you to start reading the book of Exodus so that I don't have to explain so much as we go along. But watch this now. Listen to me. Look at me. Look at me. Look at me. Egypt always represents the kingdom of darkness. Pharaoh always represents Satan, the taskmaster, the slave master. Okay? The Red Sea always represents the born-again experience of you coming out of darkness, out of the kingdom of darkness, miraculously. You got this? The promised land always represents your life here on earth as a believer. You catching this? I believe that their experience of the Jordan River represents the baptism of the Holy Spirit that empowered them to go take the promised land. Jericho, with all of its walls, always represents your flesh and the opposition that your own mind brings you to try to stop you from really taking hold of your promised land, of walking in victory and walking in freedom. I want you to grab a hold of that so when you read that story, you could start plugging in the symbols. And you could start seeing all throughout the book of Exodus, you're going to see your story. You're going to see your story. You're going to see Moses, save this one for last, always represents Jesus, the deliverer. The one who supernaturally defeats Satan and the one who supernaturally brings you out into that Red Sea, through that Red Sea and heading into your promised land. Amen? God bless you. I'm done for tonight. I pray that you come back next week. You need prayer for anything? Come on up. Thanks for listening to this message. We pray that you're blessed and lifted up by God's word. If this message helped you today, please consider supporting New Beginnings financially. You can just go to newbeginningsnj.org and click the giving tab. We hope to see you soon.